Hey, this is Nicholas, and this is an introduction to acupuncture channels and points. So if you're taking an acupuncture 101 class, this is what the first lecture might look like. In this video, we're going to go over some basics like what are the channels, how do we name the channels, the basic pathways of the 12 channels, and some of the functions and characteristics of the primary channels. I'll probably have some slides on the website if you want to follow along. The link will be in the description below, and I'll put some time codes there as well in case you want to jump around to the different sections. But this is probably going to be a long one, so go ahead and get comfortable, grab yourself a snack, and let's get started. So when discussing channels for the first time, a convenient place to start is with this passage from chapter 17 of the Ling Shu, which says, It is by virtue of the 12 channels that human life exists, that disease arises, that human beings can be treated and cured. The 12 channels are where beginners start and masters end. To beginners, it seems easy. The masters know how difficult it is. So this passage is highlighting a couple of interesting things. First, it's by virtue of the channels that human life exists. So what this means is the channels are an integral part of the body's anatomy and physiology. So we shouldn't just think of the channels and points like magic buttons that we press when somebody feels bad. Rather, the channels are a part of the body's normal functioning, and they're what keep us alive and healthy. Then, it goes on to say that it's because of the channels that disease arises. So when there's some malfunction or imbalance or disharmony in the channel system, that's what makes us get sick or experience dis-ease. But luckily, there's a solution. When we get sick or experience disease, we can turn to the channels for treatment. So that's what we're doing as acupuncturists. We're using our knowledge of the channels to harmonize the body systems, reestablish balance, and heal the body. So it's kind of like the channels are the cause of and solution to all of life's problems. And like the passage says, the channels are where beginners start and masters end. So this is our starting point. This is where we begin the study of acupuncture. And hopefully the study will continue over years and decades, drawing on both theoretical or academic knowledge from textbooks, as well as practical experience from treating patients in the clinic. And as you get more comfortable with the material, your understanding of the channels will become more sophisticated, and that's what will make you an effective practitioner. So, what are the channels? Well, you may have seen these diagrams or charts on the wall, or you may have seen these acupuncture mannequins with a bunch of lines and dots drawn on them. Well, the dots are the acupuncture points, that's where we stick the needles, and the lines connecting the dots are the channels. So where did these come from? Well, there are actually two theories. The first theory says that the points came first and the channels came second. So the idea here is when a person got sick, they noticed that certain points on the body became tender. And they also noticed that stimulating these points could help alleviate the symptoms. Eventually, they grouped the points together based on what kind of symptoms they could treat. And then they used lines to connect the dots. And that's how we got the channels. The second theory is the other way around, that the channels came first and the points came second. So here, the theory is when Taoists were doing meditation or Qigong, they may have observed energy traveling along certain pathways. Or when people did massage and they pressed a certain point, they might notice a sensation traveling through the body along a particular path. So they mapped out these pathways or lines of energy, and those were the channels. And then, eventually, they discovered specific points along those channels that could have a certain effect on how the qi flows through the body. So which is it? 
Well, some recently discovered texts point to the second theory, that the channels came first and the points came second. These are called the Ma Wangdui silk texts, and they're the earliest reference we found to the channels. And basically, these are scrolls that had pictures of channels, but not points. So we're pretty sure that it's the channels that came first and the points came second. But either way, it seems that by the year 200 AD, at least 349 points had been mapped on the body. So we can say pretty confidently that a coherent system of channels and points has been around for at least 2,000 years. So that's an interesting history lesson, but it still leaves us with the question, what are the channels? Well, let's start by looking at the Chinese term for the channels, which is Jing Luo. Jing means channel, or path, or track, or route, and Luo means enmesh, or web, or net. So together, the term Jing Luo means channel network. So we can get more specific and say that the Jing are the up and down vertical pathways, and the Luo are the side to side horizontal pathways. So it's the Jing and the Luo together that make up this web or network which distributes qi and blood to the tissues of the body. Some other terms you might see here are the channels and collaterals, or the channels and network vessels. Now these are just different translations of the term Jing Luo depending on which book you're reading. So one traditional image that we used to illustrate this idea was weaving. If you're weaving on a loom or weaving a piece of silk, you have certain up and down threads called the warp. These threads are usually thicker and more tightly wound and form the structure of the piece. Then the threads that you weave in between are called the weft or the woof. So these are the horizontal threads that fill in the spaces. So in this analogy, the jing are the warp or the up and down threads, and the lo are the weft or the side to side threads. And I just want to point this out here because you might occasionally see these terms come up in certain textbooks. For example, in herbology class, when you're reading Bensky's Materia Medica, you might see him use terms like greater yang warp disease. And you'll be like, what is a warp? What does that mean? Well, that's just the translation he likes to use for jing or channel. Another analogy we'll see used a lot here is the channels are like water pathways, like rivers or irrigation ditches. So just like in farming, you have a series of ditches or channels that irrigate the fields and provide water to the plants growing there. In the body, we have this network of channels that supply qi and blood to the organs and tissues. So the Jing Luo are irrigating the body's organs and tissues. And then another translation that gets used a lot in the West is meridian. This is like on a map. You have horizontal and vertical lines of longitude and latitude, and you can say that those lines are like the Jing and the Luo. Now personally, I don't really like the term meridian either as an idea or a translation, because when you say meridian, you're talking about a coordinate system or an imaginary grid that helps you find a location. And that doesn't really convey the full idea of the channel system in the body. So when we say channel, it's like the English channel. It's a waterway, it's a pathway through which things can flow. And that's what we're talking about when we say Jing Luo. So some people say meridian, but I prefer the word channel. So that's the term Jing Luo. And again, we can refer to these collectively as the channels and collaterals, the channels and network vessels, or more uncommonly, warp and woof. If we want to refer to them individually, we often call the Jing the main channels or the primary channels, and the Luo the Luo connecting channels. 
and the differences between these two is something we'll get into more in the next video. For now, let's just say that there are 12 primary channels, one for each of the 12 organs, and there are 15 LUL connecting channels, one for each of the 12 primary channels, plus extras for the REN, the DO, and the great LUL channel of the spleen. And again, that's something we'll get into more in the next video. So let's talk about how do we name the channels? Well, in the West, we tend to just name each channel after the organ it's associated with. There are 12 Zongfu organs, six yin and six yang, and there are 12 primary channels. Now each channel is associated with an organ, so we just say things like lung channel, spleen channel, gallbladder channel, and so on. But the Chinese way is a little bit different. We have different names for the channels based on the relative yinness or yangness of the channel. So there are six levels or six divisions. Taiyang, greater yang, Shaoyang, lesser yang, and Yang Ming, Yang Brightness, for the Yang levels, then Tai Yin, Greater Yin, Shao Yin, Lesser Yin, and Jue Yin, Reverting Yin or Terminal Yin, for the Yin levels. So these are the six channels, the six levels, or the six divisions. Each of the six divisions has a hand section and a foot section. So six divisions, each with two sections, gives us the 12 channels. And that's how we name the channels. We can say things like, the hand tai yang small intestine channel, or the foot tai yang UB channel, or the hand tai yin lung channel, or the foot tai yin spleen channel. So where did these names come from and what do they mean? Well, that's a little bit complicated. One explanation is it has to do with how the channels are positioned on the body. The back of the body is more yang and the front of the body is more yin. So the more towards the back of the body the channel is, the more yang it is. And the more towards the front of the body, the more yin it is. So for example, on the outside of the arm, the channel in the posterior position is the greater yang or tai yang channel. Then in the middle is the lesser yang channel and more towards the front is the yang brightness channel. So it's like we're going from yang to yin, or at least greater yang to lesser yang. On the inside of the arm, the channel towards the front is the Tai Yin or Greater Yin channel. Then we have the Reverting Yin channel and the Lesser Yin channel. So it's going from Yin to Yang or Greater Yin to Lesser Yin. But then on one side, Shao Yang is in the middle, but on the other side, Shao Yin is on the outside. Why is this? I don't really know. And why do we call it Yang Brightness instead of Least Yang or Reverting Yang? I don't really know. And then to make it even more confusing, it turns out that some of the channels actually change position depending on where you're looking on the body. So if you're confused by this explanation, that's okay. So am I. Another way to look at it is instead of the position of the channels on the body, we're talking about the depth of the channels. And when you say depth, we're not just talking about physical depth. We're also talking about depth of function. So we'll say things like Tai Yang, opens to the exterior, Yang Ming closes to the interior, and Shao Yang is the pivot between the two. So if that all sounds really weird and complicated and confusing, it kind of is. I feel like for this one, there's really no simple and straightforward explanation. And that's just kind of how Chinese medicine is sometimes. So if you wanna know more about this, I might recommend that you read the book, Applied Channel Theory by Wang Yi. He has a whole chapter that goes into more detail about this. But for now, it's probably okay to just know that there are six levels, three yin and three yang, and these six levels 
give us the naming system for the 12 channels. And you'll need to be able to go back and forth between these two naming systems. So when I say Han Yang Ming, you'll need to know that that means large intestine channel. And when I say spleen, you'll need to know that that's the foot tie-in channel, things like that. So why do we even have this naming system? Well, for one thing, it gives us a way to very clearly differentiate between the channel and the organ. So for example, we can have a disease of the large intestine organ, or we can have a disease of the large intestine channel. And it's important to be able to differentiate between the two. So if somebody has constipation, we might say that's a disorder of the large intestine organ. But if somebody has tennis elbow, we might say that it's the Han Yang Ming large intestine channel that's affected. The other thing is, it gives us a way to pair the channels. So in your fundamental classes, you probably talked about yin and yang paired organs. For example, the lung and large intestine are a yin-yang pair. The spleen and the stomach are a yin-yang pair. Well, we can do the same thing with the channels, but instead of calling it a yin-yang pair, we say it's an interior-exterior relationship. So the Han-Tai-Yin lung channel has an interior-exterior relationship with the Han-Yang-Ming large intestine channel, because the lung and large intestine are yin-yang pairs. The lung channel runs on the inside of the arm, and the large intestine channel runs across from it on the outside of the arm. Both channels are associated with the metal phase, and they're both on the arm right across from each other. Another example, the foot tie-in spleen channel has an interior-exterior relationship with the foot yang ming stomach channel. The spleen channel, the spleen channel runs along the interior or medial aspect of the leg, and the stomach channel runs along the exterior or lateral aspect of the legs. So these two channels have an interior-exterior relationship. But then, getting back to what we were talking about before, another way we can pair the channels is through these six-level or six-division relationships. For example, the Han-Yang-Ming large intestine channel and the Foot-Yang-Ming stomach channel form the Yang-Ming pair. These channels are kind of like mere images of each other, just one is on the outside of the arm, and the other is on the outside of the leg. So if you get a question like, what's the interior-exterior pair of the liver channel? You should say the gallbladder channel, since the liver and gallbladder are yin-yang pairs. But if you get the question, what's the six-division pair of the liver? You should say the pericardium, since the liver and pericardium make up the jueyin pair. Things like that. And just an extra note, when we talk about interior-exterior pairs, those are yin-yang pairs, and they're both on the same limb. So you're going to have a yin-yang pair that are both on the arm, or a yin-yang pair that are both on the leg. But when we talk about six-division pairs, they're going to be either both yin or both yang, and they're going to be on opposite limbs. So you'll have one on the arm and one on the leg, and that makes up the six-division pair. That might have been really confusing. Hopefully that makes sense. Oh, this is a long video. This video is brought to you by Peanut M&M's. Not like they're a sponsor or anything, this is just how I get through my day. Next, we can talk about how the qi flows through the 12 channels. This is something you probably learned in your fundamentals class, that the qi flows through the 12 channels in a continuous circuit. Circuit. 
from lung to large intestine, the stomach, spleen, heart, SI, UB, kidney, pericardium, sanja, gallbladder, liver, and then back to the lung. So this circuit or the order of the channels is just something that you're kind of going to have to know forever. And this is actually really a big deal because way back in the beginning, in the time of the Ma Wangdui text, the channels were seen as separate entities. So you had a stomach channel, which contained stomach chi, and the kidney channel that contained kidney chi, and they were considered completely separate. But now, especially after the Nanjing came along, we say that there's one chi in the body that flows through the 12 channels in a continuous circuit. And that's why we can take the pulse at the wrist, and from this one location, we can know the state of the chi in all 12 channels, because they're all connected in this flow. Then, using this idea of a continuous circuit, we can talk about something called the circadian flow of qi. Basically, we take the order of the flow of qi through the 12 channels, and we line it up with the clock in two-hour intervals, with the lung starting at 3 a.m. Now, when you look at this chart, don't get confused. Just because we say that the lung channel corresponds to 3 to 5 a.m., that doesn't mean that qi is only in the lung channel during that time. I mean, if that were true, the other tissues would die because they're not getting any qi. So instead, maybe you can think of it like tides that ebb and flow. So from 3 to 5 a.m., qi pours into the lung channel, qi is exuberant in the lung channel, or there's an abundance of qi in the lung channel. But there's still qi in all the channels all the time. So some people will use this diagnostically. For example, if a patient wakes up with a headache at 1 a.m. every day, that might mean there's something going on in the liver channel. Or some people will use this in treatment. So at certain times of day, they might be more likely to needle certain channels because those channels have more qi. And then this gives us another way that we can pair the channels. For example, the lung is 3 to 5 a.m. and the UB is 3 to 5 p.m. So we can call that a midday-midnight pair because they're opposite each other on the clock. So some practitioners might use points on the lung channel to treat the UB channel because of this relationship. Anyway, you might occasionally get some questions about this, like what is the time period associated with the spleen channel? But really, as long as you know the lung starts at 3 a.m. and you know the order of the qi flow, then you should be able to reconstruct this chart and get the right answer. And one last thing I want to emphasize about this, when we talk about the circadian flow, we're talking about the channels, not the organs. So sometimes people will post these cute graphics on Facebook talking about how certain times of the day are related to certain organs or organ activity, but that's not entirely accurate. The original text where this is mentioned talks about qi pouring into the channels at certain times of day, so this is a phenomenon that has to do with qi flow through the channels, not the organs. So how do we remember all of this information? Well, there's this neat little chart that can help us out. So if you're taking a test, it might be helpful to be able to recreate this chart on a sheet of scratch paper to help you answer certain questions. So here's how I do it. Let's start with the yin organs. First, I ask myself, what are the two sources of qi? Well, that would be the lung and the spleen. From the lung, we get qi from the air that we breathe in, and from the spleen, we get qi from the food that we eat. Anatomically, the lung is above the spleen, so we put the lung above the spleen. Then I ask myself, what are the two fires in the body? Well, the heart houses the sovereign fire, and the kidney houses the ministerial fire. The heart is in the upper jaw, and the kidney is in the lower jaw, so the heart is above the kidney. So we write down the heart above the kidney. And then the only two that are left are the liver and pericardium. 
We could say that both of these have a function of storing blood, or you could just say that they're the ones that are left over. And again, the pericardium is in the chest above the liver, so we write the pericardium above the liver. So those are all the yin organs, so next we just have to fill in the yang pairs right across from them. So the lung is paired with the large intestine, the spleen is paired with the stomach, and so on. Then we can draw on the arrows like a snake, and this will give us the order of the qi flow through the 12 channels. Next, we can group the organs into pairs and write down their six division names. So on the yin side, it goes tai yin, shao yin, jue yin, and on the yang side, it's yang ming, tai yang, shao yang. Now this is something that you just have to remember. There's no significance to this in terms of order or channel depth or shang han lun. We only write them down this way for this chart. But now you have all the correspondences for the six division names. The one on top is the hand section, and the one on bottom is the foot section. So if I ask you, what's the Han Jue Yin channel? You can say it's the pericardium. And by following the arrows, that will give you the order of the qi flow through the channels. And if you remember that the lung corresponds to 3 to 5 a.m., you can fill in the other time periods, and now you have a table for the circadian flow. So after you've been doing this for a while, hopefully it will just become second nature. So like at this point, when somebody says foot Shao Yin, I just automatically know they're talking about the kidney channel. But in the beginning, it can be helpful to be able to recreate this chart, and that can help you answer any questions about six division names, six division pairs, the order of the flow of qi, or the correspondence between the channels and the clock. So that was all about the order in which the qi flows through the 12 channels. Next, let's talk about the actual pathways of the channels on the body. So the way the channels flow into one another on the body goes like this. It goes from chest to hand, hand to face, face to foot, and then foot back to chest. And then it repeats. Chest to hand, hand to face, face to foot, foot to chest. And one more time. You can even do a dance. Chest to hand, hand to face, face to foot, foot to chest. So these four pathways are repeated three times to give us the 12 channels. So if we take these pathways and line it up with the order of qi flow, then that will give us the orientation of each of the 12 channels on the body. So the lung channel goes from chest to hand, the large intestine channel goes from hand to face, the stomach channel goes from face to foot, and the spleen channel goes from foot back to chest. And then it starts over again with the heart channel going chest to hand, small intestine channel going hand to face, and so on. So this is something we call the three circuits. And when we start learning the individual channels, we usually learn them in this order. Lung, large intestine, stomach, spleen, blah, blah, blah. So this can give you some idea of where the channels are located and in which direction they flow. So finally, let's just talk briefly about the functions of the channels. This is something we'll talk about in more detail in the next video when we talk about the secondary channels. But for now, let's at least introduce it so we can relate it to some of the things we talked about so far. First, we can say that the channels connect, link, balance, and harmonize the various parts of the body and make the body into an integrated whole. Remember, we said that the Jinglo are like a network or a web, and this web surrounds us and penetrates us and binds the body together. So this web or these pathways connect above and below, left and right, interior and exterior. They connect the organs to the tissues, they connect the organs to each other, and they balance out the yin and the yang of the various parts of the body. So rather than thinking of the body as a bunch of individual units that act independently, the channels are like the fiber optic cable connecting everything together and making it an integrated system. 
And besides just connecting everything, the channels also work as a distribution system. Remember, we said that the channels are like waterways or irrigation ditches, circulating chi and blood throughout the body and providing nourishment to the organs and tissues. So when we said at the beginning, it is by virtue of the 12 channels that human life exists, this is what we're talking about. The channels form a web that connect everything together and also a distribution system that circulates chi and blood throughout the body. And then the channels also have a function of protecting the body. So when a pathogen tries to invade the body, it starts at the exterior at the level of the skin and body hair and tries to work its way inwards towards the organs. So the channels are there to prevent the pathogen from penetrating deeper in the body. And then we say that the channels respond to dysfunction in the body. And this can mean a couple things. We can talk about this in relation to pathomechanism or how disease presents in the body. Remember in our passage, we said, it is by virtue of the 12 channels that disease arises. So the channels themselves can become diseased, like in the case of joint pain or arthritis. The channels can reflect diseases of the organs. For example, say a person has a lot of heat in the stomach organ, well, this heat can travel up the stomach channel to the face and give us additional symptoms like toothache or bleeding gums. Or the channels can transmit diseases to other channels or other organs. But when we say that the channels respond to dysfunction in the body, we can also use this diagnostically. So if a channel becomes diseased, we might notice a change in color along the channel, or we can feel for areas of heat or cold, or we can palpate for tenderness along the channel. So these changes in the channels can give us diagnostic information about the nature of the disease and where it's located in the body. And finally, we say that the channels transmit chi to the diseased area. And here we're talking about treatment. So again, from our passage at the beginning, it is by virtue of the 12 channels that human beings can be treated and illness can be cured. So this is what we're doing as acupuncturists. By stimulating the acupuncture points, whether it's with a needle, or with the application of heat, with pressure and massage, or even with cupping, we're helping the body transmit chi to the diseased area so that healing can occur. And if you want to learn more, I really do recommend this book, Applied Channel Theory by Wang Juyi. This is my favorite non-textbook book about Chinese medicine. I mean, when I first read this book, it seemed like in every chapter there was something where I would say, oh my gosh, this makes so much sense. Why didn't anybody explain it to me this way before? I will say that if you're just starting out, this book might be a bit much. Sometimes I'll tell people to wait until they're done with their first year and then come back and read this to kind of put everything together. But it's very readable, it's easy to skip around to different sections if you want to, and something that you can read multiple times and get more out of it each time. So I'll leave a link in the description below. Full disclosure, this is an Amazon affiliate link, so if you click that link and buy anything, I'll receive a small commission, like less than 5%. But this is a way you can support the channel at no additional cost to you. So if you like this video, go ahead and hit the like button. If we haven't met, my name is Nicholas and I make videos for students about acupuncture and Chinese herbs. So if you want to see more videos like this, go ahead and hit the subscribe button. But I hope you enjoyed this one because that's all for today. Thanks and see you next time. Hot sharing size. That's hilarious.